Now, I had a PowerPoint uh, all prepared, and it cr my computer crashed last night, uh, and it corrupted, and my backups were corrupted and everything. So, But we have the Word of God, so uh, we'll be teaching from the Scriptures this morning. So open uh, to uh, Ruth chapter 1. Previously, we were looking particularly at the first verse, uh, and we'll be continuing our introduction uh, going into uh, verse 2. And chapter 1 set the, the context, uh, the time period in which the book of Ruth takes place, uh, during the time of the judges, uh, during the time uh, that God's people uh, went through these cycles of sin and rebellion against the Lord. Uh, he brought judgment upon them uh, through the nations, through famine. And then they would inevitably cry out to the Lord uh, for mercy, and he would raise up a judge, and he would redeem them from their enemies and from their trials and hardships uh, and from the covenantal curses that he brought upon them. And we also looked at one of those covenantal curses in particular, famine. Uh, famine was characteristic of uh, God's curses upon the people, upon the, the promised land, uh, when they sinned and rebelled against him. And so when we open up the book of Ruth and read that it was the time of the judges and that there was a famine in the land, that should make us think of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, uh, the covenantal curses, uh, this whole time period of sin and rebellion uh, in the land, uh, but also God's, God working out his redemptive purposes, being faithful to his people uh, despite uh, their unfaithfulness. And now we'll be looking, uh, going into verse 2, I want to focus particularly on the, uh, the origin or the home of Elimelech, uh, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, and then uh, the destination of his sojourning, uh, Moab. And so let's just uh, read uh, through the first five verses in chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, uh, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Uh, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons, Mahlon Vechilion. Uh, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. Uh, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahlon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. 
Now, the first thing I want you to notice uh, in this, this last part of verse 1, so in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. As it opens, who's performing the action? A man. A man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn. Uh, he's the, the primary actor. Uh, and not that you need to know the, the technicalities, but in Hebrew, it's a singular verb. Uh, he's the one performing this action. And then at the very end uh, of the sentence, it adds, so he went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. It expands on it. Uh, they're accompanying him. Uh, but he's the primary actor at this point in the story. Uh, he's the, the central figure for this small section here. Uh, and then his sons uh, will also uh, become actors in the story. Uh, and we'll see their sin taking Moabite wives. Uh, and then finally, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Uh, but at this point, uh, he's the central actor, and his wife and his two sons are accompanying him uh, in this sojourn uh, to Moab. It says that he was a man of Bethlehem uh, in Judah. And uh, Bethlehem uh, is actually used interchangeably uh, if we uh, read along, uh, there's another location mentioned at the very start of the book and the end of the book. Uh, throughout the book, Bethlehem's used repeatedly, uh, but it can be used interchangeably uh, with uh, an old uh, name for the, for the town. Uh, it says in verse 2, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Uh, and so that's used a handful of times uh, in the scriptures. Uh, and I want to look at some of those. Uh, Bethlehem and Ephrathah are associated uh, with uh, sin and tragedy, uh, but also God's covenantal promises and blessing, uh, particularly uh, the Davidic kingship and the Davidic uh, covenant, the, the Davidic line. That's where David uh, is from. And so just even looking within the book of Ruth, you have this opening where it notes that he's uh, from Bethlehem in Judah. And you see this tragedy that follows that uh, instead of crying out to the Lord in the promised land uh, and returning to the Lord and crying out to him uh, in the midst of the famine so that he would have mercy on them, uh, instead they decide to seek refuge, not under the wings of Yahweh, but under a foreign, uh, foreign people, uh, even a people that had persecuted them uh, as they came out of the wilderness uh, from, from Egypt uh, during the years with, with Moses. And his sons take uh, the two wives. And so the book starts with, with sin and tragedy, but then go to the end of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4.
And then let's just read from verse uh, 10. Uh, Boaz says, Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Machlon, I have bought to be my wife, uh, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Uh, And this is within the the Davidic line. The name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel, May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that Yahweh will give you uh, by this young woman. Uh, Ironically, a a Moabitess who came to seek refuge under the wings of Yahweh uh, and left her people and God's Uh, to become part of God's covenant people. Uh, But they echo back uh, to Rachel and to Leah uh, and uh, these figures within uh, the Davidic line and within uh, the patriarchs of uh, Israel uh, to, uh, to bless them. Now let's turn uh, to Genesis Let's see, it's in chapter 35, I believe. Yes. Verse 16. Here's one of those places that we see that connection between Ephrathah and uh, Bethlehem. Now, you remember there's this competition between Rachel and Leah of who who could bear uh, more children, uh, and they're competitive with one another. Rachel only ended up having two. And after she had Joseph, uh, well, I think even before that, uh, she told Jacob, uh, give me children or I'll die. Yeah. Yeah. And the Lord seems to have granted her her wish. She gave children, but she died. Uh, and more importantly, she took the household idols uh, of her father Laban uh, right before this. And so they're traveling back, returning from their sojournings. But Rachel ends up dying before uh, they, they come to their destination. Uh, she dies in the land of Canaan among the, the Canaanites. Uh, on their uh, journey back uh, just before uh, Bethlehem or uh, Ephrath, Ephrathah. And so verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel. Uh, when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. 
And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. Benjamin. Uh, so Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath. Uh, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. And so uh, died even before uh, they uh, returned uh, to Hebron. Uh, they hadn't come to Bethlehem yet. And along the way, uh, she died. And she names her son Benoni, like son of my sorrow or suffering. Uh, and Benjamin is son of my right hand. Uh, I can do with, with power. Uh, right can also be used to refer to the north. Uh, he came from... Uh, the northern uh, regions where he went to sojourn uh, with his father-in-law, Jacob did. Uh, but here uh, she dies in suffering. And so Bethlehem, even though she wasn't buried immediately in the town, she was buried outside the vicinity of the town on the way. So Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, became remembered uh, for the death of Rachel uh, and for the tribe of, of Joseph. And so it's interesting that uh, in God's providence uh, that, that you have Bethlehem, but also Ephrathah mentioned at the start of the book of Ruth, which could almost strike an ominous tone uh, given what happens, uh, given they're going to sojourn in Moab, uh, and Elimelech ends up dying, uh, the sons end up dying uh, in their sojournings. Uh, Rachel also died in their sojournings and on the, the return trip uh, home. She never, never made it home. Uh, but then at the end of the book, uh, there are also uh, Messianic notes and remembrances. And actually, in Genesis 48, uh, Jacob also recounts as he's uh, taking Joseph's sons as his own. Uh, Genesis 48, uh, verse 7. He says, As for me, when I came to Padan, uh, to my sorrow, uh, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. Uh, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And now let's go to Micah chapter, or actually first, uh, first Samuel 17. We'll start there. So 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17, and then in verse 12. This is part of the extended introduction of uh, David and uh, him taking a more prominent role within uh, the book of Samuel. 
uh, during the reign of Saul, King Saul. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, uh, the man was already old and advanced in years. Uh, the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul uh, to the battle. And so it goes on. And so part of David's autobiography is being an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in Judah. Uh, and some of the times when it mentions uh, Ephrathah or Ephrath or in Judah, it's to distinguish it uh, where there are a few times where it's used for the members of the tribe of Ephraim. So Ephrath or Ephrathah in Judah uh, is associated with uh, Bethlehem. And then uh, Micah chapter 5. Now this is one of the most well-known uh, Messianic passages uh, that's written in very plain colors of the, the hope of a future uh, Davidic king, uh, one who will reign forever and whose reign will be uh, universal, ultimately over all the ends of the earth uh, for all time. And so Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And you hear some of these echoes of, of labor, uh, messianic themes, uh, but... You think of Ephrathah and you think of uh, the labor even of Rachel. Uh, therefore, uh, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Uh, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. And they shall dwell secure. Uh, for now... He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And so you have this hope of the future uh, Davidic king. Uh, Ephrathah is only used a handful of times, uh, but both in the context of sin and tragedy of God's people, but also God's redemptive covenantal purposes uh, to bring about uh, his blessing for his people and his everlasting uh, reign and peace uh, among the, the nations through his son. And that's really what frames the book of Ruth. Uh, but uh, Elimelech was leaving, he was leaving the house of bread uh, to find provision uh, in Moab. Uh, but he, he was leaving for, for Moab. And so go to Genesis. Just want to look at a little of the history of the Moabite uh, peoples uh, within uh, Israel. And we'll be turning to Genesis chapter 19. Yes. Uh, I'm, I just 
I'd like a clarification on the relationship between Bethlehem and Ephrathah. Yeah. I, 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 is one part of the other? Sometimes they're used uh, completely interchangeably uh, for, uh, for the town or for the region. Uh, it may be that Ephrathah could also sometimes refer uh, to a cl clan or more uh, local region uh, in distinction from Bethlehem. Uh, it isn't always clear. Uh, a lot of times they're used uh, entirely interchangeably. And actually, let's see. I'll pull up a quote from Daniel Block. I have to grab this because my PowerPoint corrupted. Otherwise, I had it right, right on hand. Let's see, concerning Ephrathah, uh, Daniel Block uh, is a longtime commentator on the book of Ruth. He's written multiple commentaries uh, on it over, over time. Uh, this is from his more recent one uh, in 2015. Uh, so he says uh, that uh, verse 2 identifies uh, the entire family ethnically as Ephrathites, uh, whereas elsewhere, uh, Judges 12, verse 5, uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, and 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 26, uh, the singular gentilic denotes membership in the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, so that's the other use that I was talking about, where uh, sometimes it speaks about those who are members of the tribe uh, of Ephraim. Uh, so for instance, Hannah uh, was... Uh, among those people in the beginning of uh, Samuel, uh, which would also mean Samuel uh, as well. Uh, here the term derives from Ephrathah, uh, which seems to refer either to a subregion around Bethlehem or uh, a clan uh, that was, or family, uh, that was a segment of the larger population around the, the town. Uh, and so in the context of Ruth. Uh, in either case, the characterization of Boaz uh, from the clan of Elimelech identifies him as a relative of this man. Uh, Boaz is, is a relative of Elimelech and vice versa. Uh, however, having named the members of this family, this fourth line goes beyond preparing the way for Boaz anticipating the identification of David uh, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 12, as the son of this Ephrathite man from Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Jesse. Uh, looking even, so the Davidic genealogy, David's origin uh, comes from this man, uh, from Elimelech, and from Boaz, uh, looking even farther into the future, in a profoundly royal and messianic text, the late 8th century BCE prophet Micah identifies this town as Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, Micah uh, chapter 1 verse 2, or chapter 5 verse 2. Uh, in our text, uh, this otherwise seemingly insignificant addition reinforces the royal motif uh, theme and binds uh, this introduction even more tightly uh, to the closing uh, genealogy. Uh, and then just in a footnote, he sa sees, says uh, Ephrathah functions as an alternate name for Bethlehem, 
according to Genesis chapter 35 and 48, Rachel died some distance from Ephrathah uh, that is in the environment, environs of Bethlehem. So maybe more info than you, you asked for, uh, but uh, it can be a little complicated just as far as its usage. Uh, but it's associated with someone uh, who is a member uh, of uh, the tribe of Judah in and around the region of Bethlehem. Okay, uh, so now in Genesis uh, chapter 19, and we'll be going to the end of the chapter uh, where we see the introduction of the, uh, the Moabites. So after uh, Yahweh delivered, uh, and the, the angel of Yahweh uh, delivered Lot uh, from Sodom and Gomorrah and from the, the destruction uh, upon the city, and Lot was another uh, sojourner who went to sojourn uh, where he, he ought not uh, among the, uh, the peoples. Uh, now, so verse 30, uh, now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn uh, said to the younger, our father is old and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father uh, drink wine and we will lie with him and we may preserve offspring from our father. So uh, they made their father drink wine that night, uh, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Uh, there are also some themes that are very similar to uh, Noah. Uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and the flood during Noah's time are often connected together. Uh, and of course, you have Noah drinking the wine. Uh, it was through his sons uh, and their wives that they repopulated the earth. Uh, here, they may even, uh, they're at least preserving offspring from their father by committing incest, uh, which is uh, sinful and horrific to the Israelites uh, to read this. But there, there may be a sense in which they think that they're, I mean, they're, they're afraid to come out of the cave, to come out of the hill, that they're repopulating the earth or the region, or uh, there are certain uh, judgment themes uh, within here uh, in seeing uh, this destruction and being uh, fearful. Uh, but they try to preserve uh, at least uh, offspring uh, from, from their father. Uh, but he was afraid to live in Zoar, so of course there were still They'd know that there were inhabitants, uh, but uh, there were several cities uh, destroyed, particularly Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, uh, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, uh, that we may preserve offspring from our father. Uh, so they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. 
Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. Uh, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. Uh, he is the father of the Moabites to this day, uh, partly playing off uh, Me'av uh, from father or Me'avi uh, from my father. It's uh, a wordplay, uh, Moab. Uh, he is the father of the Moabites to this day. Uh, the younger also bore a son and called his name uh, Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites uh, to this day, I believe, son of my people. And so uh, the, the origin story of the, uh, the Moabites and their history uh, was one that was characteristic of incest. And sometimes these things also reflect uh, some of the uh, the, the sins of the fathers that go before, and often uh, the sons, the descendants, walk in the ways uh, of their fathers who preceded them. Uh, they learn from them. They walk in their own uh, sinful passions and hearts. Uh, and so you see, like with the Canaanites, uh, that uh, their sin wasn't complete during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was being patient. Uh, he was going to wait. Uh, to bring his people out of Egypt into the land. Uh, but you see characteristic sins uh, that later characterize uh, the, uh, the Canaanite uh, peoples when they entered the land, and they were warned uh, about them because they did, ultimately they didn't fear the Lord uh, by and large, uh, except for a few exceptions uh, like maybe Tamar or uh, the few that come to faith, Rahab. Uh, but it's not to say all Moabites were incestuous, but, but this, uh, their beginnings are in sin and being separated from God, uh, by and large, they're, they're sinful people who do not know the Lord. And then uh, we'll go to uh, Numbers. Chapter 25. In preceding this, uh, the king Balak of the Moabites uh, summoned Balaam, the false prophet, uh, to curse Yahweh's people, to curse uh, Israel uh, as they were coming out. Uh, they ref uh, refused them uh, on their way, uh, on their sojournings uh, from the wilderness uh, into the promised land. Uh, they refused them passage. Uh, they refused uh, to provide them uh, with water and sustenance and support, uh, which uh, the Israelites would have paid for. Uh, they weren't looking for, for handouts or freebies. What chapter are we in? Uh, chapter 25. Yes. Uh, and so this is after uh, the curses uh, that Balaam tried to pronounce uh, on the Israelites, uh, and instead uh, God made him to bring about uh, blessing, uh, to bless uh, the people. Uh, but then we have a final ruse uh, from Balak and Balaam and so you have the end of Balaam's curses, uh, chapter 24, verse 25, last verse. 
Uh, then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also uh, went his way. And then entering into chapter 25, while Israel lived in Shittim, uh, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. And so as they were living alongside them uh, in the wilderness, along uh, the Jordan River, uh, preparing to enter and cross over uh, with Joshua, uh, during this, uh, this time, this final time of sojourning uh, and rest and preparation uh, for the conquest, uh, they began to take uh, Moabite women for their wives. And naturally, the, the Moabite people weren't, worship, weren't worshipers of Yahweh. Uh, they didn't fear him. They didn't follow him. They did not know his statutes and teachings. Uh, they followed uh, false gods. Uh, they followed uh, the traditions of their people, uh, the rules of their gods, uh, their kings, their leaders. And so when they would form such a union, you were mixing uh, the worship and service to Yahweh, presumably of an Israelite who is supposed to be one who fears Yahweh and who trusts him with uh, the worship and service to, to idols. And the two are incompatible. Uh, and so there's always a conflict uh, in a marriage uh, when they form uh, these unions. But as you read through this and you see, see uh, Phinehas's uh, uh, vengeance uh, that he brings, that there are even leaders of clans who make political alliances uh, with the foreign women uh, in the nations. Uh, that was a common practice uh, where Egyptian pharaohs would take foreign wives and women uh, to establish friendships and alliances uh, with nations and rulers uh, around them uh, to have more influence. And so you often see that the Israelites fall into the pagan practices of the people uh, around them. But here you see that temptation of the Moabite women and of the foreign women around, which this should be, this should be at the back of our memory, an Israelite reading the book of Ruth and seeing that they took Moabite wives, uh, that they went into a foreign land, didn't cry out to the Lord. Instead, they went to seek refuge under the people who rejected them coming out of Egypt and entering into the land. Uh, the people that wouldn't even sell them bread uh, or water, who showed hostility, who cursed them. Uh, they took uh, wives uh, from these people, uh, just like in the book of Ruth, as in Numbers. Yes? See a question or comment? It's kind of a bunny trail, so if you don't want to go there, it's fine. But I was thinking of how, you know, a lot of people, when non-believers, and if you, you know, the first thing or one of the things they want to bring up is, well, how could God destroy a whole group of people? How could he destroy women and children for the sin of, you know, one person or a small group of people? So I think what you're covering is really interesting because it is reminding of the holiness of God. But, you know, it's, it isn't a passing story of how wicked all of this was right from the beginning. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and how, how could God destroy people? I mean, all, all of humanity has sinned against the Lord. Uh, I mean, just by creation, he's our creator. Uh, we, even if we had never sinned or fallen, uh, God owes us nothing. He's given us everything. Uh, the Lord has given, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But it's not just that, that we've all sinned, we've all rebelled. And so how could he destroy a people? I mean, the, the question is really the opposite. Uh, how can he not judge the sinful, wicked humanity? Uh, one day it's going to be a universal judgment. That's something that we all deserve. This uh, Balaam is mentioned again in Revelation 2. I was looking at, I remember researching this one time. It says you have some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block from the Israelites. Is it a reasonable assumption that the passage we just read, remember you wanted to directly curse them and it wouldn't work? Yeah, absolutely. He, he kept blessing them. So he had a better idea. Yes, yeah. Get them yeah. to rebel against God and they'll just come under the curse without me cursing them. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I mean, he, he basically, I mean, he, he appealed to the Israelites' own weakness. Right. Uh, what, what passage was that? Yeah, Revelation 2.14, I think. Yeah, yeah, very good. So while, while Israel lived in Shittim, uh, the people began to whore after the daughters of Moab. Uh, these invited the people uh, to the sacrifices of their gods. So explicit idolatry, uh, not just the marriage of foreign wives, but service uh, to, their, uh, to their gods as well. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods, thinking maybe of the golden calf now. So now they're supposed to be coming out. Uh, now they're, uh, they're in the, the wilderness, uh, but you think of like 40 years previous and their sin. Uh, so Israel yoked himself uh, to Baal of Peor, now, Baal doesn't necessarily refer to just one God. There isn't necessarily just one God. I used to be confused about this for a long time. Like, how are, how are there Baalim? There, there are Baals, plural. Uh, is it just referring to the idols? Well, Paul says uh, there are many lords, as there are many lords and many gods, and he talks about, like, the authorities. Baal uh, can refer to a lord or a master, and sometimes it's a, a master or a lord over a particular region, like Peor, of a particular mountain, particular region. Uh, and so uh, there isn't necessarily, uh, when Baal is used, it's not always necessarily referring to just one god. It can also refer to more individual local authorities as well. And so you, you have to differentiate and pay attention uh, to the context uh, to who is being uh, referred to. And so you see this Lord tied to a particular region, Peor. I believe, was that the origin of Balaam? Well, uh, Balaam was hired by Balak to curse 
Yeah, well, I'm trying to remember the region he came from. Was it Balaam of Peor? I think that sounds right. But we'll continue uh, reading as Bob looks at that. Uh, and the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Israel, and Yahweh said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun uh, before Yahweh, uh, that the fierce anger of Yahweh may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor, Lord of Peor. That's also how Baal, as an aside, can be used for, uh, for the Lord. Uh, sometimes it was used to refer to Yahweh as Lord in a proper sense, but over time it became used more and more uh, for f foreign gods. Uh, and so I think the, the term became avoided uh, more often. Found it. Uh, numbers 22, um, starting with verse 4. <clears throat> Since Balak, son of Zippor, was Moab's king, Moab's king at the time, that time, he sent messengers to Balaam, son of Beor, at Pethor, which is by the Euphrates in the land of his people. Balak said to him, look, people, so here's all these people, they're too much, and uh, so he hires him to curse them. Yeah, yeah. So he was from that region, Beor. correct? Oh, Beor. Oh. Ah, uh, okay, that's right. No, because Peor was within the uh, the region uh, of uh, Moab and the, the Ammonites. So verse 14, uh, the na name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with the Midian... Oh, I accidentally went down a little too far. So let's see, uh, in verse 6... And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. So not just the Moabite women, but Midianite. You know, foreign women, foreign wives, foreign daughters of the people. Uh, in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. Uh, when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them. Uh, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly, uh, thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who had died by the plague uh, were 24,000. And so they actually went in uh, to... Uh, the uh, tent of meeting uh, in sinning uh, before the, the whole congregation. You, you see uh, these themes uh, in which uh, you even have leaders among the clans taking foreign wives and rebelling uh, against the Lord. Uh, what's the, what was the reference uh, that you were just saying Although in that, that particular one, uh, the sight of Moses, all the people, while they're weeping in the tent. I want to take a look at that again. While they're weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. So that may be the people calling out. 
I recalled them entering the tent of meeting. Let's uh, read on to this last part where Yahweh commends Phinehas for avenging uh, his death. So verse 10, Numbers chapter 25, verse 10. And Yahweh said to Moses, uh, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, son of Aaron the priest, has turned my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. And then we have a final note. Uh, the name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, uh, the son of Salu, chief of a father's house belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, uh, harass the Midianites and strike them down, for they harassed you with their wiles with which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the chief of Midian, their sister who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. And so you have this sin and rebellion uh, of the, the people uh, that any Israelite would think of uh, as Eliezer goes to sojourn in Moab as his sons take foreign women in wives instead of just crying out to Yahweh uh, for redemption, for forgiveness, uh, for sustenance and provision. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if I could just back up to when you were talking about uh, Baal and you were talking about regional... Uh, uh, different names for, for that. Well, ultimately, isn't Satan the head of all of them? And then we see in the Tower of Babel where God puts uh, the uh, uh, angels over the nations. Mm -hmm. And then we also see in Daniel 2 where uh, uh, Daniel's fasting and he's praying and Michael comes and he uh, altercation with the prince of Persia and later with the prince of Greece. So uh, we know just from what God tells us that what you're saying that that is true. He puts these he puts these gods, false gods as they may be, mm -hmm. over all these nations and uh, you know Israel failed at every turn. Right. Yeah. And really, I mean, Satan's the father of lies, so any idolatry uh, ultimately uh, goes back to him, uh, as well as human sin. But he's the originator, uh, the, the first lie teller uh, that spoke contrary uh, to God and according uh, to uh, his word. And uh, the woman listened to the serpent, uh, the man listened to the woman, and nobody listened to God. So, yeah, good point. Okay, and then uh, continuing uh, with 
uh, with Moab. I want to take a look uh, in the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, seeing there is uh, one other passage uh, where didn't have it in my notes. I think it's, let's see, maybe we'll skip this. I didn't write down this uh, passage. Uh, yes, Deuteronomy 23, uh, verse 3. Good. Uh, yep, Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. And actually, it starts uh, right, right before that. Uh, it's speaking about those who cannot enter the assembly of the, the Lord. Yes, so verse 3, no one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of Yahweh. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of Yahweh. Uh, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of Yahweh, even to the 10th generation. Uh, None of them may enter the assembly of Yahweh forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way, when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But Yahweh your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, Yahweh your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because Yahweh your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever." And then it adds, you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. Uh, You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you are a sojourner's land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. Uh, Probably referring that out of Egypt, there were Egyptians and peoples who were God-fearers, who feared Yahweh, who came out and left Egypt, left their peoples, left their gods, uh, to go with uh, the, uh, the Israelites. Uh, and so there were people among the nations and the Egyptians uh, during the wilderness uh, sojournings who came out with them. And so it's probably referring to their offspring of those who, uh, who are God-fearers. Uh, but even though you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother an Egyptian, because you were a sojourner's land, Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. Uh, those who feared the Lord, uh, children born to them. But the Moabite, you know, of all peoples, and the Ammonite to the tenth generation, because of what they did to you, uh, because their sin was so grievous, uh, as was the Egyptians, but they were sojourners there, and so God's merciful. But you think of this within the context of Ruth and just how scandalous uh, it is uh, that they would go and seek refuge uh, in the lo- land of Moab instead of under the wings of Yahweh. Uh, that they would seek the provision of the king of Moab and his fields and land uh, instead of the, the king of kings and the lord of lords. And that Elimelech and his two sons would die on the way, 
but that a Moabitess would come to seek refuge under the wings of the Lord. Uh, and with Boaz, who feared Yahweh, uh, would come uh, to be uh, an ancestor of uh, King David and also uh, the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate anointed one. Uh, that's really remarkable and profoundly scandalous. I mean, it's consistent uh, with God's work throughout all of Scripture, like if you understand it. But it's still, it's still very scandalous uh, given the, the context. It, it's kind of the least expected thing. Uh, and not everyone is a Rahab, not everyone is a Tamar uh, or a Ruth. Uh, but uh, God, even out of this sin, uh, brings about uh, his uh, redemptive purposes. I was just going to mention that same application because looking at this, it's amazing the mercy of God to use the things that are not to confound the things that are. Because in Matthew 1, um, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, and so on. And so that's in Matthew 1, 5 in the genealogy. Absolutely. And then later, Matthew in Matthew, you see the citation of uh, Bethlehem and uh, how Messiah is in Bethlehem. So God, this is not hopeless, this is hopeful. Yes, yes. And by, by the end of Ruth, uh, although we, we start uh, in this context of leave, leaving the house of bread uh, and, and also uh, leaving, uh, leaving here, verse, verse 1, Ruth chapter 1, and verse uh, 2, And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons, uh, and that they were Ephrathites. Uh, and so thinking about the tragedy uh, in the sin at the start of the story, uh, very much, and the, the idolatry, very much like Rachel uh, in the time of the patriarchs who died along the way. Uh, but by the end of the story, uh, connecting it back to the tribe of Judah, to this messianic uh, genealogy uh, and hope. Uh, and they'll even say Ruth is better than seven sons. Uh, pretty remarkable for a Moabitess. So any last uh, comments or questions? Yes. It just, you know, it's just stun stunning, really. God uses, well, I, I'm kind of looking at the application. There's so many applications to this. I think you've brought it out. But we, in our world we live in, you know, we, we sometimes despair. We think, oh, my goodness, you know. But look at all these situations and, and these people going back even to the daughters of Lot. They decided, okay, we got to do this. Well, that proved to be a terrible thing. Uh, but God worked it all, you know, and then, like you mentioned, scandalous that that um, uh, that Ruth should be ultimately uh, a mother of, uh, you know, in the line, uh, you know, to our Messiah. And so God works 
uh, in ways that we never can. Uh, he's a surprising, you know, you can almost count on surprises. And, and we can worry and we can try to plan everything. And I'm a planner. I'm kind of a, you know, I mean, we're all like that. But God really has it in control. And um, this just, this whole narrative, when you, when you look back all those generations, so many surprises, so much wickedness that people do, and yet God, His will prevails. It's just an amazing thing. Amen. And Elimelech, uh, my God is king. So he didn't act accordingly. I will discuss that, Lord willing, in, in the fu- future. We'll touch, touch on that. But uh, he didn't act consistently uh, with Yahweh as his king. Uh, but it's consistent that Yahweh is king throughout their lives and throughout the, uh, the book of, of Ruth. Uh, but that's, that's, that's our story. That, that was Abram's story. He called him up from, out from among the nations. Uh, and we're, we're no different. Well said. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you uh, for your word. Uh, I th- thank you for, for all of your goodness uh, and mercy uh, and that despite your people being unfaithful, uh, despite our unfaithfulness, uh, you remain faithful. And I just pray that by, by your son and our king uh, that you would work out uh, your will uh, in our hearts and minds and that you'd lead us uh, by your spirit and the spirit of your son uh, and teach us in your ways and uh, please be with Bob as he opens up and proclaims your word uh, and give us all ears to hear and eyes to see uh, to, uh, to receive your word and uh, see your glory. And we pray in your son's name. Amen.